0: Well, we are in this series called Mastermind, talking about where's the intersection between mental health and faith. Last week we talked about our thought life, how the Bible talks about taking every thought captive, how we're moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts and the importance of of our thought life and what that means in our our mental health journey in our life. And so we're gonna continue on with that journey of, of talking about mental health this today. And I know there are different types of people who are listening to this message. There's some of you who feel like this doesn't relate to you at all. You don't care anything about mental health or what that what that means or it doesn't feel like it, it um, affects your life at all. And there's some people on the, the spectrum who are going to be, who are, who are listening to this that really feel that pace of, place of pain in themselves. Maybe you have a brave face on, but just things in your life have, Have been really hard really struggling but people don't know or maybe you've been open about it but you just don't know how to talk about it don't know how to make that a conversation maybe it's it's somewhere in between wherever you are on that that spectrum of of thinking it doesn't matter to you knowing this is a deep place of pain mental illness is something that affects one in every five adults so even if you don't think this applies to you you know someone who is struggling with who's living with mental illness and we want to be together as especially as a church but as a people as followers of jesus people who are compassionate who can care well for people who know who are knowledgeable and so i I want in this message for wherever you are in that spectrum for you to be as you're listening asking asking yourself asking the holy spirit where where is the practical application for this message in in my life Some uh, personal disclosure, I am not a mental health professional. I do not have a degree in mental health, so I do not claim to be an expert. That is just true, know that, and I am just someone with lived experience. I also, as someone who lives with mental illness, I do not speak for everyone else who lives with mental illness or who has. I'm not a spokesperson for the whole community or something like that. I'm just my own individual person sharing Also, I, um, because I do have lived experience, something that helps me as I process my mental health journey and approach it is I use a lot of humor when it comes to talking about mental health and I know it can be a really sensitive topic and um, living with mental illness is hard, can be really hard, challenging topics like suicide, losing a loved one to suicide, things like that are very serious and um, require sensitivity and know that I, I do know that and when I use Um, humor to talk about mental health and mental illness or my mental illness. um, I I hold those two things together, the seriousness of it, but the humor that helps me process through some of those things. So just some things to uh, get out of the way so that you know. Um, We've been uh, listening to, hearing from an expert on uh, mental health, Dr. Carter, who's going to give us a little more insight today. Um, The church often has been pretty silent about the the world also, but the church has been silent on the issue of mental health. And we're gonna hear from her some ideas of why that is.
1: Dr. Carter, thank you again for joining us today. I'm so glad that you're with us. Um, Today, what we've been doing is we've been talking specifically about mental health, but also the stigma that comes with this topic. And in our culture, but I think especially in the church, oftentimes it feels like the topic of mental health is taboo. And I'm curious, like, why do you think that is? Why is it hard to talk about?
2: Broadly speaking, I think mental health um, has been difficult for people to understand, and that it's a long-standing history. Um, so, in this country, and actually globally, um, you see people with mental health problems as being portrayed as um, very odd, uh, unusual um, people. Sometimes being violent because they have mental health problems. And because of that, there's been a lot of withdrawal from those individuals. There's a lot of fear that I think the general public has um, or has had because of people with mental illness. Um, And it's simply because they don't understand what's going on. I think we see uh, individuals who believe that their immoral behavior or sin has caused their mental health problems, so they don't, they don't want to talk about it because then they also have to talk about the sin that supposedly caused the sure. problems too. Um, and so there's a lot of silence there. Um, and then in general, there's a lot of shame, I think, in the Christian community when we have mental health problems um, because we assume that our faith should make us better. Right. You know, And there's a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves um, that we're not good Christians if we're not healthy um and and so that lack of transparency i think um it is the result of feeling that shame so in recent years there's been a lot more sensitivity not just in the in the general public but also in the church um, toward people mental health problems uh, i just think there's still there's still some work to be done there's still some misinformation out there that's leading to uh, that stigma lingering around a little bit
1: So so let me ask you this, for those of us in the room who may not know or understand the data around how prevalent this actually is, can you give us some insight into exactly what we're talking about?
2: Roughly 46% of the American population will experience some type of diagnosable mental health problem in their lifetime. Um, So that's pretty close to to half the population. Right now, about one in five adults will have some type of mental health uh, disorder in the a year's time frame, um, and one in six children, so ages roughly six to 17 minors will have some type of mental health diagnosis within a year's time frame. People who have a mental health disorder typically live significantly less um, long than those who don't. So there's a 25 year difference that we see. Um, yeah, and well. for people who have mental health problems, it's, they shorten their lifespan. A lot of that is because of the chronic medical conditions that often come along with having a mental health disorder, uh, a severe mental health disorder. Uh, we also see that anxiety accounts for about 20% of the diagnosis that we we assign with uh, depression not being too far mm-hmm. from that. Sure. Um, there is no significant difference in terms of the occurrence of mental health problems from those in the general public to those who are in the church. Um, and so uh, your faith doesn't fix you you right. know in, in that regard. Um, And then suicide is, unfortunately, has increased significantly, about 33%, um, from 1999 to 2017, which is when the CDC did their last publication on it. And suicide is the second leading cause of death for uh, people ages 10 to 34. Is the fourth leading cause of death for people ages 34 to 54.
1: So when I hear these statistics, I mean it feels like, especially suicide, is increasing. But I mean a lot of them seem like they are as well. Mm-hmm. Why? Why do you think that is? Like, why are these rates increasing over time in the way that we're talking about it?
2: Well, part of it is uh, professionally. You know, I can I can speculate to this. Um, we have come up with more sensitive ways of measuring for mental health issues and symptoms, and so our diagnostic tools have become more advanced in that regard. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure as well, you know, from teenagers and adults are experiencing that has increased over the years. Um, Pressure to be perfect, pressure to be successful, pressure to be uh, fill in a blank, right? Um, And that pressure, you know, leads to anxiety. It also leads to a sense of um, wanting to escape. Right? I don't want to be here. Um, helplessness and hopelessness tend to be predictors of suicide. And so when you have the, the, withdrawal of the general population from the church, right? That's a part of it as well. Um, They're not getting those gospel messages of hope, you know, and now they're getting messages of um, negativity, of, you know, through the media, you see all of the destruction in the world and all the bad things that are happening, and there's nothing to counter that. There's nothing positive to counter that. Um, And so despair can set in and lead to um, wanting to take your life because of the things that are going on, or even short of wanting to take your life, anxiety. Depression increase because of all the things that you're exposed
1: to. Sure, I think of the parents in the room who have teenagers in particular, right? And you said, like, especially that that number has increased. Mm-hmm. How would you talk to a parent about that and having that conversation? Because I think that probably some parents who would go, "Well, I don't, I don't even know that I would want to plant yeah. that seed, or I don't even know that we would even want to talk about depression like that." What would you say to them?
2: Right, you're not planting the seed. Right, it's a myth that if we talk about it, then somehow the person's going to do it. Right, so I think when we don't talk about it, then the people are going to do it because they feel like nobody cares. Right, um, and so asking the question gives the permer- gives the person permission to say, "Yes, I'm hurting. This is what's going on with me. I'm terrified because I'm thinking about taking my life." That's not that's not a comforting thought, right? That's a terrifying thought. And so um, I would encourage parents or spouses or whoever um, to say, you know, I've noticed these things about you. I've noticed you don't seem as happy. I've noticed that um, you're more withdrawn. I've noticed that um, you're more irritable. You know, and I want to understand what's going on with you. Can we talk about how you're feeling? Um, and in that conversation, you can ask Have you had thoughts about hurting yourself? You know, I know that's scary and and we don't want to bring that up, but it's so important to go there um, with your child or with your loved one to make sure that they're feeling safe.
1: So even in just what you were describing with the numbers and the statistics that you were giving, it feels like there's almost a spectrum or there's kind of a range of people that are kind of walking this journey and and what that looks like. So I think my question is, what would you say to the person who's going, I might be somewhere in that spectrum, but I'm not exactly sure where. What's my first step to take right now?
2: I think being honest with yourself about what what you're experiencing and what you're feeling, being vulnerable, not being afraid to be vulnerable, I think denial is uh, a very comfortable place to be. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes we get lost there and and we even minimize to ourselves what we're Experiencing, And we put on this front that um, things are going so well and we're feeling good, but really on the inside, we're not feeling great. And so um, being vulnerable enough with yourself to say, I need help, you know, I'm, I'm not doing okay. And then closely following that step would be the next step of then finding a person to talk to, you know, taking that courageous step and saying to someone that you trust, a safe person, I'm not okay and I need help. Um, I think if you can have someone to walk along with you during that journey, it makes a huge difference in terms of your outcome and your healing process.
1: That's great. Dr. Carter, again, thank you so much.
2: You're welcome.
0: So like Dr. Carter said, the church has often been silent on the topic of mental health, either... um, Silent saying saying nothing that it's it's maybe swept under the rug or acts like it doesn't exist or um, We just uh, don't don't look at it or even there can be a lot of negative things that the church or the Christian community has has attached to this conversation of mental health and mental illness whether um, people are are don't pray enough, and that's why people are struggling, experience mental illness, or they're not a good enough Christian. The shame if you continue to struggle, you know the the verse about uh, don't be anxious about anything. So just stop being anxious because uh, that's a sin and. And, or even the, the conception, the church sometimes has, has perpetuated this idea that um, suicide is an unforgivable sin and, and, and suicide is goes, you go straight to hell. And that's that the, there is an unforgivable sin in the Bible, but it's not suicide. The Bible doesn't say anything about suicide being an unforgivable sin. And so there have been a lot of, of painful things that I think sometimes the church or the Christian community has, has brought to the table in the conversation about mental health, but I think also in the silence. Um, as Dr. Carter said, some of it is just about understanding. How do we understand? How do we enter into the conversation and not necessarily knowing how to do that? It is a sensitive topic. It's hard to know how to talk about it, what to talk about, it, who wants to, who doesn't, who... Um, the level of disclosure somebody is at in talking about themselves or a family member, things like that. There's also, there's mental health, there's mental illness, there's a spectrum of things. Even as I say mental illness, ideas come to your mind. They're different ideas than the other person than the next person. It just can become such a big, it's such a broad topic. What's, what's the difference between having good mental health and having a mental illness and, um, so a way that uh, I, I like to think about it and think is helpful as you're thinking about mental health versus mental illness is that we all want to have good mental health and we all want to do things that are going to promote good mental health. That's, and, and a lot of times, that's the same thing as good physical health too. Exercise is great. Eating well is great. Um, you're continuing to, to socialize with people that are good for you. These are great for our physical health and our mental health. And then when our, our mental health deteriorates to a point where we can't function in our, normal, in our normal life, that's a point where you may receive then a clinical diagnosis of a mental illness when it starts affecting your life in that way. And it's it's the same way as in our physical physical bodies, if we don't take care of our bodies, we're more susceptible to getting sick. And sometimes that's those are action steps that we can take to have good health, same thing with mental health. And sometimes there are things that just happen to us. People fall and break bones all the times or develop cancer or brain tumors and it's nothing they've done. And the same thing about mental illness, trauma, traumatic events happen and it develops or just things in the brain that are, are wired differently a certain way and mental illness develops. But it, it's, mental illness is just is a sickness and it's not a sin to be sick. It's not a sin to be sick. And mental illness is not a character flaw or a defect. It's not because you don't have enough faith and if you had more faith then God would heal you. But it's just as a sickness, it's not a sin to be sick. People sometimes, there's even stigma attached to the word. People don't like to say, oh, I have a mental illness and I can't control the ideas that come into your head from movies or from books or from your your family life, your experience. And whether you're thinking about the your uncle at Thanksgiving who talks to himself, or you're thinking about somebody who has Shrett syndrome and is ticking, you're thinking about someone who recently lost someone to suicide, you're just this whole big spectrum. And to say that I have a mental illness means that I, I don't know what kind of stigmas are gonna come up for you. And so it can make it that hard to talk about because of that. I know for me, I've been recently diagnosed with something that's um, called borderline personality disorder. And even in the clinical world, as in the past other mental health professionals, thought that maybe that was a possibility, they said to me, we don't know that we want to label you that way because it will come with a stigma in the mental health community. Some therapists won't even work with people with borderline because they have the stigma of being difficult patients. So even within the mental health community, there's there's stigma that can be attached to different diagnoses or different things depression looks different from one person than it does another and so just because somebody has somebody else has borderline personality disorder it's not the same as what i experience or severe depression it's not the same as what i experience there's a scale from um some or there's long-term chronic mental illness or short-term there's so many different things and it can look a bunch of different ways uh, to to just illustrate this for you this is not so you can feel bad for me but because we're talking about it and it's my life and it's past then we can laugh about it so this week i had a morning when i woke up so anxious about everything that was that needed to be done that was happening and looking around my room and realizing my floor is just covered in in clothes. I don't know if they're clean. I don't know if they're dirty. I'm waking up late. And everything comes into this cycle. I've been going through this couple of months of, of medication trial and error. So there's all these different changes and I'm like, it's the beginning of the week. I have to take my medication. If I don't, then I won't be able to sleep because I have to take it earlier, but I have to take it with food and I can't find food and I can't remember which of the drugs I'm supposed to take because I'm trying all these new ones and just so overwhelmed by all these this this all of this input coming at me. I'm staring at all of these pill containers in front of me like what am i gonna do i have to do this and like okay i just gotta take them i need some food what do i have and i look and on the side of my bed i have this week old donut in a bag sitting there and i grab this donut and i eat it and i'm like i don't i don't care i just need some food that's all i have i can't even make it downstairs So had my little stale donut and took my drugs and eventually the takeoff better and the anxiety lessened and I did other sorts of practices. Some friends helped me make the steps to be like, okay, now go get food. I'm like, okay, I got food. I'm texting with my my friends, my support team, get get an outfit on, okay, have an outfit on, and and working my way through mental health. But friends, that happened this week. And I'm just up here also sharing with you and speaking to you. You just don't know what mental illness looks like in different people's lives and what they are experiencing. And for me, obviously, in some ways, I can be very candid about my um, mental health struggles and life and mental illness and also in some ways it actually can be really hard for me to talk about and one of those Contexts can be talking about it within the context of church and the context of God and God and I's relationship when it comes to my mental illness has been a place where God and I have wrestled we have wrestled I have asked him questions that have gone unanswered I felt like he's there I felt like he haven't our relationship me and God has been this wrestling match between anger and love and confusion and questioning and and to know I know it's hard to know where where do I land where does mental illness and faith intersect for me for God and that the relationship that we've had has just been difficult because of that different places in my mental health journey one of those places was uh, I was a my junior year of college, and I had been it had been a long year of different things that had happened that had really started to wear down my mental health, and had put me in a in a pretty bad place because of it. And I tried to reach out for help and ask ask adults in my life as I was in college, um, that what were happening, how I could help. I was praying about it. I was. I'm currently studying, I was studying biblical studies, missions, I'd been on mission trips, I was an RA, I was caring for girls on my floor, I was like, God, I am trying, I am trying to do a good job and to serve you, and to give this over to you, and to pray about it, I just felt like he was not there at all, I could not feel him, I could not see him, and I could not understand why, why he was not helping me, these adults in my life ended up not doing anything about um, what I'd shared with them. Later, when I asked them why, they had said, well, you just, you looked like you were doing okay, and so I didn't wanna bring it up. Kind of that, some of the stuff that Dr. Carter talked about not wanting to, to bring it up, and that being a myth, talking about they didn't wanna bring it up, and ended up being something that was really hurtful to me. But as I was processing through this and feeling like God is not there, just decided, you know what, I if I've been praying and searching for God, and if I know that he's good, and I haven't seen him here, then there must not be a God because otherwise he would be here and he would do something about this. And I made that decision and several days later, two weeks after my 21st birthday, I was in a psychiatric hospital for suicide watch. I was in a five day hold, put in a a square plane room with four empty beds that you sleep in taking your clothes and checking everything, giving your hospital gown, and sleeping with the door open in this hospital thinking, how did I get here? How did this happen? And psychiatric hospitalization is, is not a death sentence and, and it can be very helpful. There are some really great, Psychiatric doctors and nurses and professionals, for sure. And so, um, but my experience was not a positive one. It was a negative one, and it, it was it was very terrifying to know what was happening in that place. And where where was God? And how did I end up here? Where is God in all of my suffering and my pain? And that that can really be a question for all of us. Where is God? Whether it's in your mental illness, where is God in my mental illness? Or or for anyone, make it a broader. Where is God in my suffering, in my pain? And, and we look at God and we, we think this. If a good God could, then a good God should. If a good God could, if, and then a good God should. If God is good, then he should change. He should change these things for me. If, if he can change the way I experience the world, then why doesn't he? And if, the, if this is not my fault, if it's not a character deflect, if mental illness is not my fault, then why, why, God, did you make me this way? And where are you? And, and those are, are questions that I have asked God and I have I've pushed into my prayer life. God, I am frustrated. I am frustrated with the ways this is affecting my life, even though I am trying. And where are you? If a good God could, then a good God should but that that's a reality that we a broader reality that we see around us right we don't have to nobody saying oh I, oh I thought that the world was good i don't see anything bad in it we we see that there are hard things in the world that they're suffering that is very very clear and really jesus actually warned us about that if you're looking um words of jesus that are recorded in john chapter 16 jesus has told his disciples the people following him All of these actually hard things that are going to happen to them. They're going to get thrown into the synagogue. The ways they're going to suffer. He just shares this whole list with them. And then he says this to them. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. God tells us directly, you will you will have suffering, not might or if you happen to, you will have suffering in this world. And and suffering just reveals that things are not as they should be. It's not, it doesn't reveal that God isn't good. It's more of a judge on the world and how things are not right. And it's a a shift in our thinking to know that um, God has not promised. His promise wasn't the removal of suffering. His promise has more to do with a redemption, a farther off redemption as we're our um, relationship with God is repaired because of his sacrifice and his promise to be with us, to be present with us when we're asking where God is in, in all of us. That's what makes our God different. It's what makes Jesus different. That he's, he's not someone that's just watching all of the storms that are happening in our life. He's a God who is with who's in the boat with us. And he's a God that chooses, that chooses suffering. And we see that in jesus's um time in the garden of gethsemane this is in this as uh, in this account jesus is it's his um last night here on earth The, the next morning he'll be crucified he'll be tried and crucified and he takes his disciples they've had this great meal together he takes them out to this garden and he goes and he says hey stay here watch and and i'm gonna pray and i'm gonna pray in the in the garden and this is um an account in the book of matthew 26 then he said to them my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, but not as I will, but as you will. It says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. The deepest parts of me, who I am, are overwhelmed with sorrow. And I think we talk about how Jesus chose to suffer. He chose to go to the cross and to die. And of course, if that's what you were facing, if I were facing tomorrow, I I would probably be upset about it also thinking about what was about to happen, this terrible crucifixion that I did nothing to deserve. So it it makes sense that Jesus is emotional, but at the same time, he is Jesus and he could have approached it in a way in his heart that that God just gave him this, this peace. You know, I know this is going to happen tomorrow and it's going to be hard, but I just have peace and, and calmness and knowing that this is going to happen tomorrow. But he, he didn't choose that. Je- Jesus, instead, his soul was full of sorrow to the point of death. He prayed, his his body had physical reactions, he sweat drops of blood. He allowed himself, he chose to feel the sorrow and the suffering in his Soul he chose that he is a God who came and shared our experience as he chose Suffering it's not a sign that he's not good the suffering. He is the God who suffers With us and you know what I I don't understand that really sometimes what that means for God to be with me in the suffering especially when when my my mental illness keeps me from feeling that God is even there I don't know exactly what that means, but just because I don't understand something and really just because I don't feel something doesn't mean I don't know that it's true. doesn't mean I hold on to what is promised to me through the Bible about who God is, that he will not leave us, that he is always with us. And, And as the church, we are called to hope for people, to hope with people as the church. We help people in that suffering. The Bible says we belong to one another as if, as we are believers, we belong to one another. We are to bear each other's burdens as people of faith, as people who are believers in Jesus. That's our job. That's our job to have the hard conversation, to check up with one another. And I pray that's a community that we become, that that's who we are at Anthem. We are a community who's honest, who's honest ourselves, who's willing to enter into hard conversations and who, who is a, a a place of hope and a place of of light and a place of safety. We should be the most compassionate place on the planet in the church. It should be the safest place to be together as the most compassionate people. Obviously, I talk very open about my, my mental illness, my mental health treatment, and that's... That's not necessarily the same as other people. I also have been able to to come out of a lot of shame that I originally felt about having mental illness or the things that I do because of it or or don't do. And so I'm able to talk about it. That's not necessarily where everyone is at. But at the same time, um, when you're awkward about having the conversation with someone who has mental illness, it just makes us feel more awkward about having a conversation about mental illness. And sometimes, occasionally, because I feel more comfortable, I'll throw out like like an honesty line when someone asks me about me and kind of, I just feel out how people are going to react. So people are like, you know, how are you? And I'm like, oh, well, I've been, I've been doing some, uh, some changing of medication to see how it is. And they're like, that's great did, to yesterday. was beautiful. The weather, it was awesome. And they're like, well, how was, how was your, what did you do this week? they are like, oh, I was in this, this uh, outpatient treatment program. Like, great. Any, anyone else, anyone else, what did you do this week? What is, what is it at? And, and, People, it makes people uncomfortable, but we have to push past the uncomfortable. Uh, friends who, who are not people living with mental illness, when you make it awkward, it's just more awkward to us. And that's just a conversation about how, how someone is doing it is really hard To have a conversation to say to someone I'm struggling and if that's that's a place where you are living with mental illness I want to validate that it is hard it's easy to say hey there's hope and hey you're not alone but to take the step to do it and to reach out is really hard and it's it's even more hard that those are just conversations that are me talking about my life but it's even harder when you're having conversations about about hey I'm thinking about taking my life I'm thinking about how I don't want to be alive anymore Those are really hard conversations to have. It is so important to reach out when you're feeling that way and to be honest about how you feel. Bringing those things into light is the first step in in the the darkness lifting and allowing people to help you to be honest about that but that conversation is really hard really there's no good way really to tell someone that you're thinking about taking your life it's there they don't want to hear it you don't want to say it and it's sometimes i even just have to laugh about it because it's like the most awkward conversation you could have but it's important and you're like i don't i okay i'm thinking about it but it's not going to happen but i don't do you have time to talk about this i mean it's fine it's not going to happen today. I don't know. I don't, you're not responsible, but I do need help. It's okay. And then they're crying and they're emotional. And you're like, how do I comfort you? This is okay. You just learned your friend is suicidal. So how, how can I, like, how did this happen? Now I'm caring for you. It's, a, it's an awkward conversation to have. It's really hard. It's really hard, but it's so important. In conversations like that, that are so important, that are so hard, are conversations that should be safe in the church and as a community. And it is all of our job in the community to care for one another, to really care for one another, to carry hope for one another when we have purpose. And that's one of the best things about being followers of Jesus when we think about What are our reasons to to be alive? When we are followers of Jesus, we know that we were created, God first created us to love us, but we were created with purpose, each of us. Each of us was created with purpose that is specific to us. God has good works he prepared in advance for each of us to do. You are not an accident. If you are someone living with mentalness and you feel like you are disqualified from ministry, that there's nothing you have to give to the world. All of those things are not true. I I wrestle with those things too. It does this disqualify me from doing ministry, from caring for people, but that God says he uses the weak things, weak things in the world. That's the weak people in the world that he used to shame the strong, that when I am weak, I am strong, holding on to those words that Paul said to us. And we each have unique purposes that, we bring to the world, and when you choose not to either choose not to enter into the hard process of, of mental health care and um, keep those things, uh, keep, keep those things inside of you, whether that's mental illness or other things that are, are not that are keeping you from having good mental health. You keep those things, you are keeping your potential, the gifts that God has given from reaching the rest of us, from blessing the rest of us, from impacting the world, from impacting the church, keeping those things away from you, away from us. You are, God wants to give you a life of freedom. And it doesn't mean not having suffering, not a removal of the suffering, but a freedom of his presence within that suffering and the grace that there is for our lives that he wants to give us. You have an important place in the church. God has things that only you with your DNA and your personality and your experiences, only you can bring to the world. Only things that I can give to the world. And when we, when I think about what it would mean to take our life, That's a choice to give up on that purpose. It's a choice to give up on the what if things get better? What if God has something specifically for me? What if God has something specifically for you? We know as followers of Jesus that we have a great purpose and we have a God who is with us. And whether it's mental illness or other things in your life that can hinder you, Those are things we have to be brave and courageous to bring out into the light. Step one, bringing those things out of, coming out of denial of those things. And that is a bold and courageous step, but that is not a weak step. That is a strong step. Being in therapy, again, going back to the conversation where where you are so awkward when someone talks about therapy. Therapy is, is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength. Therapy, support groups, recovery groups, those things are strength in moving forward and, and making the choice in making the choice to move forward into a life of freedom and it is really hard it is really hard i've walked out of mental health professionals offices scarred by the things they said to that were trying to help me it's hard to find good help it is hard to find the right drug mix it is hard to find people that when you do share about your mental health they don't break down and run away or care for you badly, it is hard, is hard to do, but it is good to do. There's such good in bringing those things out into the light. And there are people who care. There are good people who care and can walk with you and walk with me in my journey through mental illness and walk together and walk together as a community of faith. It's our responsibility to say, I, I, especially in our church family, I'm going to enter in Hard conversations even if it makes me uncomfortable and I don't know what to say I'm gonna it's my responsibility we belong to each other I want to bear one another's burdens my brothers and sisters in Christ one another's burdens I'm gonna support people in their their journey and their mental health journey their journey from saying you know what's keeping me back let's go beyond mental illness what's keeping me back is is bitterness that's in my heart keep me from freedom anger that's keeping me from freedom, grief, unprocessed grief, trauma that you've buried behind there, swept into the rug and say that 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 doesn't affect me anymore, the things that are affecting you inside of you. I pray that you would have the courage to take the first step on what it would look like to bring those things out into the light, to take a first step out of denial and to say, you know what, I, I want help in moving towards a life of freedom that God offers me, that I want to be. and I want to do that in a community a community of faith who cares about me who's compassionate and I hope that the the rest of us me included that we want to say this family this God's family it's my family I'm responsible for this family and for the people who are in it and I'm going to enter in I'm going to enter in and be that safe place for people to be honest about where they're at I'm going to have the conversation and I pray that 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 we would build and be Anthem, that we would be that type of community where we have honesty and we have care and to know that 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 makes us that beacon of hope and that beacon of light to all of our community and ultimately the world.